Hey, brewery lovers. Welcome back to another episode of the Brew Daddies. Today, we are in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, here at the production facility and tap room for Calvert Brewing Company. We are here with Kara and Nick and Alex. We've got, so we've got folks who are on the front end of the brewery. We've got folks who are in the brew room. And we're really excited to be here. We've walked around, seen this place. It is a beautifully laid out and designed brewery with a lot of great stuff on tap. So first of all, I want you, each of you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do here at Calvert. Uh, my name is Kara, and I'm the sales manager, but also uh, have my hand in a lot of the operations. So um, that's everything from setting the production schedule to uh, figuring out what our needs are in the market, um, in the tap room, and anywhere else where we distribute, and um, aligning that with the basic operations and functions of the back of house work that um, Nick and Alex do. I'm Nick Finney. I'm the head brewer, and uh, I, I pretty much make sure that everything works in the back. And organizing a, a good team of people to make sure that everything works properly. And we have we have a good team, and and I'm just like helping coordinate everybody and making sure everything gets done right. Uh, I'm Alex Camilleri. I'm an um, assistant brewer here, and right now my main responsibility is primary wort production, and um, I'm starting to get down recipes and everything and working on the pilot system, but mostly I'm on the big brew house. Awesome. Well, it's great to meet all of you. Adam, why don't you kick us off? Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about how you started, when you started? So we started as a farm brewery in Calvert County, hence the name. That's why we're, there's a brewery called Calvert Brewing Company in Prince George's County. Uh, but we started down in Calvert County uh, as a farm brewery, and we always knew that we would expand to somewhere um, because that is just a very small operation. And um, we were brewing beer basically to supply the farm only, and then uh, ended up starting this place as our main production facility um, and tap room. So we still have both locations. We, bo- we still have both licenses. And while we were building this place, we actually contract brewed a little bit which is something that is now part of our business, which we do for other breweries. But we we contract brewed our main beers until we were able to get open. And we opened our doors here in January of 2016. We were brewing just a few months before that. So we've been brewing here for about three years now. If I remember correctly, Adam, I think you told me this. Um, you were the first farm brewery. Your, your farm location in Prince Frederick was the first farm brewery in Maryland? There is some debate about that. Uh-huh. We have the <laughs> certificate from the comptroller. Um, but, uh, milk house was right in there as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we don't, okay. we don't, uh, we don't shout that from the rooftops as much as we used to, because we realize there's, there is a bit of debate about that, but yes, we were one of the first, there's not that many. Um, and we've been active in, you know, some of the legislation surrounding farm breweries and, and also other production breweries, but, uh, specifically for farm breweries, there's a lot of support for farm breweries and the sort of the agritourism aspect of it in Maryland. Um, and it's, there's, there's more and more opening every day. Yeah, there's some there's some great farm breweries in Maryland. We've talked to Manor Hill, Manor Hill, and Waradaka, Waradaka and, a, yeah. and a few others. So we're we're big supporters of the agriculture side of this and and the farm breweries and and how that's working really well in Maryland. It's also just fun being on a farm. You know, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, you can it's it's great to come to a, a tap room and drink in a bar, but when you can get outside and, you know, sit at a picnic table or, you know, a table. And we, um, we actually have our, we're co-located with a vineyard down in our farm location in Prince Frederick. So, um, you know, maybe you have some people in your group that don't like beer as much. They can go over and get a glass of wine, you know, so there's something for everyone down there. It's just absolutely beautiful. 
Awesome. Okay, so we've seen your your production facility before we started recording this, and one of the things that I noticed was that you guys have a you have a mash filtration system. I think both of us have only Adam and I have only ever seen one other. So tell us a little bit about what that is, how it works, and what makes it unique in the area. So I believe we were the eleventh brewery in the U.S. to have this specific one. What it does is just make us really efficient with our mash. So in most brewery situations, you can get an efficiency somewhere like 70% to 78 or maybe 80. With our mash filtration system, we can get pretty much like 96, 97% of all the sugars from the grain. So we, we can use less grain to get the same amount of uh, sugars needed for a brew. So the whole, the whole brew system is, is efficient in that, in that way. It's not just the mash filter itself, but the whole system is meant to be using less water, less grain, better extractions, quicker. It's, it's like the Ferrari of brew houses. I'm, I'm a little lucky in that regard that I get to, like, as my first professional brewing situation to work on this brew house. But uh, it, it's a really, really awesome piece of machinery. So Alex, I know that you sort of, that's that's in your wheelhouse is yes, to sort of yeah. man this thing every day. So tell us what it's like working on this and go into some of the detail about sort of how it actually functions mm. and like w- what happens in a mash filtration system. Because I'm not sure a lot of our listeners really, I mean, anybody who works with brewing and, and even home brewers can sort of conceptualize that. Mm. But when you see it, which obviously people can't do because this is a podcast, it, you can really like understand it. So tell us a little bit about that. So the system's pretty great. I mean, it works pretty efficiently and it works pretty consistently, which I liked and that really helped me learn on it. But um, the system's, the filter is basically comprised of 20 or so sheets covered with a microfiber cloth. And the wart is sent in through a uh, hole in the top left corner of one of the sheets and it travels all the way down to the end of the filter where it floods the chambers. And the sheets are alternated as um, chambers and bladders. So the bladders can be hooked up and filled with water and they expand and basically squeeze all the wort out of the grain. And when we do that, we get a nice dry sheet of grain at the end. And so typically we'll run the wort in, run it through and let it run out um, back into the kettle. And then we'll um, top it off with whatever water we need. And then we'll go through and turn on the bladders and the bladders will expand, squeeze out all the remaining wort. And then once um, we send the water back out of the bladders into the squeeze tank, we can uh, open up the filter and take the grain out from between the sheets and it just comes out as a big dry sheet and we'll take that and put it in containers and send it out to the farm or somewhere where animals can eat it. <laughs> so you guys do send your send your spent grains out to farms for animal feed, right? Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you said you get about 4,000 pounds of pressure in that filter? Yeah, we run about 4,000 PSI. That's the amount of pressure that uh, squeezes the plates together. So, so the mash is, it's all the grain and all the liquid together. So we don't let gravity just kind of run through that. We just send all of that into the mash filter. We're pushing that in there around like 60 PSI to begin with. It's kind of a little bit of a delicate process, like kind of making sure that it's, it's quick, but not too aggressive. And so we, so we can get a lot of the warp, but not all the extra particles because those filters get everything out of there but still the fine particles if you if you press it too hard through there you still get a bunch of that too right mm-hmm. but 
There's a little finesse to it. <laughs> right. like, like Nick said, each of the each of the beers takes a different little process because some of the heavier right. beers will send through quicker and make sure we can get all the grain dispersed throughout the filter. Whereas a, a lighter a lighter beer with not as much um, grain with not as much grain in the grain bill will we can send it through a bit slower. And, and the slower you send it through, the more time it spends in there, and the more clarity we can get out of the beer in the end. Does using the filtration system affect the flavors at all, especially getting such a high uh, efficiency rate, like either negatively or positively? It doesn't seem seem like it contributes to any kind of adverse or, or, or benefit. It just is quick. I think sometimes it's it's hard to know um, what is always contributing to, you know, mm-hmm. the way that the beer tastes. But I think something that's kind of always true um, is you can almost tell a brewery's beer if you've had it enough times just by tasting it once without even knowing it's theirs. And our beer does have a certain quality to it that I, I can't quite put, I've never been able to put my finger on it, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, there's something about it and it, it could just be the, you know, the specific water filtration we're doing. It also could have to do with that mash filter. But like Nick said, we haven't noticed any adverse effects, you know, so we're, we just keep going with it and we get the beer that we want out of it. It's great. A lot of other breweries use a uh, well water and what they have available. And we have a lot of like systems in place, but, it's what we have available at the moment. So it's just, it could go for any brewery. Like, you know, you could use well water, you could use hops from your farm, you could use uh, distilled water, add all the salts to it and really control that aspect of the brewing process too. But I, I mean, that's the fun part. That's what makes every brewery unique. You know, you can be super technical about things and really like control everything, or you can kind of like use what you have available and, just run with it. Can you tell us a little bit about your brewing philosophy? I mean, we've gone to a lot of breweries and, you know, some brewers tend to be very traditional. Mm. Maybe they'll do a little bit of experimentation, but they stick to that traditional kind of philosophy. Other people are way on the other end and everything's Mm -hmm. an experiment. We first and foremost brew what we know people are going to like, because at the end of the day, you know, we we're running a business. So we, we brew things that we think are going to be very accessible to a lot of different kinds of people. Our most popular beer, not surprisingly, is our Route 4 IPA. Um, it's a kind of middle of the road, not not a West Coast, not a hazy juice bomb of any kind, not super bitter, not super fruit forward either. Just a really delicious, very crisp, clean, grapefruit driven IPA with hops that you would recognize. Simcoe, Cascade, Citra, you know, all of the ones that that your listeners will know. You know, that's where we start. We make sure we have those staples in place. And then we also leave lots of room for experimentation. And we also watched, we watch the trends, you know, as IPAs become more popular, you'll notice on our board out there, we have four IPAs. You know, that's a change from when we started three years ago, where we would have one IPA, you know, and, and then have a variety of other things. So we, we go with the trends and then we, we try to, you know, put our own spin on it, our own touch on it. But I think the biggest thing for us, as far as what we do, is we just try to make a really high-quality beer, really professional-tasting, crisp, clean, no flaws, no off-tastes, incredibly consistent beer from every single batch to every single batch. And that's really what we focus on here as far as, far as the brew process. So you specifically as a brewer, like, are there anything as you're thinking about new brews or as you're thinking about um, new opportunities that you have to create product for customers – is there anything that sort of drives 
where you're where you're thinking or what you're trying to do in terms of, of what you want to brew and how you want to brew and how you want people to think of Calvert as a as a brewery. I think I develop recipes just so people will enjoy and understand what a good beer is. I mean, there's a lot of beers out there right now, and I just I'm, everyone is tasting all the different breweries and all the different styles and this, that, and the other. But I, I really want to try to be accurate to the style and make it flawless. That's what I'm going for. Right. I, I want people to taste what beer should be, but that, that's a little convoluted in itself <laughs> <laughs> because there's, there's a lot of different things out there right now and people are really pushing the limits with beers and, and, you know, pushing the limits for what beer can be. So that's really fun in itself too. But I, I think you'll never see us, and I, I don't mean to downplay this because like Nick said, it's so much fun to watch other breweries and see what, you know, just the crazy things that are coming out of them, pushing the limits. And that's awesome. And, you know, all three of us, we go to breweries every single time we're in a different city or a different town or whatever. We're trying everything. We, you know, we, we'll try anything once, but you're not going to see that level from us. Like that's not what Calvert Brewing Company is. And I'm, I'm not, I don't want to give off the impression that we, you know, we just want to do boring things and, you know, that's, we yeah. just, we're not, we're just not into the sort of experimentation just for the sake of experimentation. We don't do gimmicks. We don't use extracts. You know, we're, we're just trying to make something pure and approachable and just good. And we do run a one barrel pilot system, which allows us to kind of, uh, expand and do that experimentation and try new styles and tweak beers and it, it really gives us it does give us that freedom to do what we want while we're still producing the good beer that the customers have grown to love and know so we like to do that and then we also run a family series where anyone in the brewery can come up and say hey i have this idea for a beer and then we go and try and make it and we release those in small batches to the tap room and so while while we're not experimenting on a large scale and going out and just you know reinventing the wheel, we're we're still advancing and making new discoveries within our brew system every day. True that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say, you know, we've been to a lot of breweries, and I think people do make a mistake sometimes in looking at more traditional beers as boring, and they're not. I mean, I think they're very exciting, and they can. I mean, the flavors that you can still get are just great. And, you know, the beers that we've had of yours have been really, really nice. Thank we you. enjoyed them a lot. You're, you're probably ready for another one. <laughs> <laughs> are, are there any other, are there any special techniques, experimental techniques, interesting techniques that you've used in, in making the beer um, that you want to talk about? We've been uh, kind of focusing on the hop part of things at this point. A, a little while ago, we were really focusing on the mash. And that's, I mean, that's key. That's the basis of the beer, right? So you have to have a good basis before you try throwing a bunch of ingredients in there and like making it fun, but you, you have to have the right backbone for it. So we really worked on the mash, getting the right temperature, the right amount of time, the, the whole balance between the grain bill, all the different types of grain that you use and the balance between that. I mean, that that's where we started. But at, at this point, we're, we're having a lot of fun with uh, the hop techniques. So we're doing a lot of Whirlpool additions, different temperatures in the Whirlpool, and a lot of dry hopping techniques, a little recirculation for dry hopping. And since we don't have a, a, a filter on the back end, we're, we're really 
working with taking our time with cold crashing and trying to figure out for all the different types of beers, the, the different types of yeast, how long it takes for each, for each yeast, you know, it, that's a living organism and it doesn't quite do what you want all the time. You kind of have to just work with it and, you know, give it, you know, different yeast strains. You give it a little extra time cold crashing. So it falls out of suspension. You get a certain clarity out of the beer, whatever you want. I mean, if you want a cloudy beer at the end of the, at the end of the day, then, you know, you, you send it a little bit quicker. If you want a really crystal clear beer, like our Oktoberfest, we gave, that yeast a good amount of time just to like filter, uh, fall out of suspension and transfer that crystal clear. And, you know, it, it's really what you, what you want at the end of the day. There, there's so many different techniques and in the back, that's what we're doing constantly is trying to tweak those techniques for every single beer just to make it perfect. So looking at the beers you've brewed, including the, the beers from, you know, people in the tap room who wanted to do it on mm-hmm. the pilot system. I guess what's the one that you were most surprised actually worked well? Uh, as you know, the style Goza is very popular right now. And so, and we had never brewed one before, certainly not on the big system, but, but Nick had never done one ever in his whole life. And it was just like, all right, well, this is the perfect thing to do on the pilot system. And one of our uh, one of our, our sales our sales guys, our sales reps, um, not involved in brewing at all, he wanted to do a just a crazy blood orange, you know, cherry, sour patch kid, warheads and throw them all in this, you know, in this goza, which we ended up doing. And it he Nick absolutely nailed it on the first try. I mean, that beer was absolutely incredible. The balance of the tartness and the salt. And, you know, he just had thought of these different techniques where he was doing a separate pot for some of the acidulated malt so that that wasn't going straight into the mash and he could control how much of it was going in. And, you know, we did all the crazy ones, but the base beer for that was just absolutely perfect. It's just like cooking in a way. I mean, there's, there's a lot of references out there on the internet for how to brew. And, you, you can go to school for brewing and you can also figure it out. <laughs> but uh, the, the way that I appro- approach it is just kind of just as any good chef should is taste their food as they're cooking it or before it goes out even. So the, the Gozo was pretty, pretty interesting because I hadn't done that one before. And um, the, the traditional way is to use bacteria to uh, sour the, the wort. And um, we just can't really risk that in our brewery at this point because it'll sour everything in here if, if you're not careful. So I went the, the way of just using acidulated malt to get that effect. And I think a lot of people, a lot of breweries are doing that right now too just because it's a lot quicker than waiting a couple months or however long it takes to, to use those bacteria to get that sour sourness that they want. The acidulated malt does the same exact thing and... Yeah, tasting tasting that goza along the way into the the kettle and adding salt for that particular style to traditionally that's what the style has is a little bit of salinity to it, but you don't want obviously you don't want to overdo it because that'd be gross. <laughs> that'd be drinking like salt water, and it's tricky to taste along the way too because when you have it in the kettle, you you pretty much have sugar water at that point, and you got to think of the end result. So if you have salt with all that sugar, you're not really going to taste the salt right away. So what I went with was just 
to the point where I barely could taste the salt. And I knew that in the end result, when all that sugar was fermented out, that it would be more apparent. So it, tur- it turned out awesome. After we kegged it all and, and carved it, it, it was just, it was really balanced and it turned out really well. I was really surprised by that, but <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> awesome. I wish we'd had a chance to, to try that. Yeah. yeah. It was pink too. It was pink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's switch gears a little bit. We've talked a lot about the beer. Uh, and we've talked a lot about, you know, how you guys approach brewing and some of the techniques and some of the equipment that you use. But let's talk a little bit about about the tap room. Sure. So a little bit about what people are going to experience if they come. We're, again, at the Upper Marlboro location, not the farm location in Prince Frederick. Uh, hopefully we'll get out there sometime, probably spring or summer. Yeah. <laughs> but but tell us tell us a little bit about the tap room here, what people can expect and what might be different or unique or special about it. Well, we are located just a little bit south of 50. So if you're in Annapolis, we're a 25-minute drive. If you're in D.C., we're a 25-minute drive. Um, people travel all kinds of distances to go to brewery, so maybe it doesn't matter to most people. But even though we're kind of tucked back in an area where there's no other breweries and not a lot going on, we're really not that far from a lot of major metropolitan areas. So definitely come out and see us. Um, but we have a huge tap room. So just like the rest of the space, we have a huge production facility. We also have a huge tap room. We have a big, uh, like 25 seat bar, um, that's, that's in a horseshoe right in the middle of the tap room. Then we have tables and, you know, chairs. We have a ping pong table. Um, and we do private events as well as, you know, just regular open hours. So you can, you can actually come and rent out space in the tap room. We do parties like that just about every weekend. We will usually have food trucks on the weekends and you can always bring your own food in. So we, we, you know, we'll have people set up an entire, entire spreads of food and cater a family party here. So. Yeah, people come people come and just set up a picnic and just camp out for the day. It's great. But yeah, so we um we're open Tuesday through Sunday. So you can come after work Tuesday through Friday and then on the weekends you can come in. Um we usually have something going on as far as events go. We'll do bingo on Tuesdays, we do trivia on Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays we usually have something going on. Saturdays we almost always do a beer release of some kind. We have live music. Food trucks. Um, we have done regular yoga. We have done goat yoga. We have done spin classes. We've done jazzercise, Roomba, <laughs> and a variety of other workout classes, um, which are always a whole a lot of fun. Club. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we have a run club that meets every other Thursday and does a five anywhere from a five k to a ten k around. Um, we have uh, a golden retriever named Wilson who is usually in the tap room, and he's he's usually a pretty big hit. Sometimes he'll even get up and bartend a little bit, so you'll see him behind the bar. Don't tell OSHA. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's always a great time. Super friendly staff. We have some of the best bartenders ever, you know, just 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 in, in line with the ways that our beers are not at all pretentious. Our tap room is not pretentious. You're not going to walk in here and feel like, you know, you're, you're being looked down on because maybe you don't know as much about craft beer. Um, we just, we just want you to drink good beer and that's what we're making. Um, and we, and again, we, we try to make our beers very approachable to a lot of different kinds of people because we know that a lot of, a lot of people who come to our tap room, a lot of the, you know, people who are regulars who, you know, come every day, every other day, or at least, you know, every weekend, uh, they're not, they're not necessarily big craft beer drinkers. They just found something that they liked. You know, they're not necessarily the people who are, you know, seeking out the most hyped up stuff. They're just coming in because they like 
are clean mail, you know, and that's a lot of the type of people that we get in our tap room. So we just try to keep things really low key. Mm-hmm. We have, we, we do, we have people that we see every single day in this tap room. And it's, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is, this is like a, it's, it's really like a cheers bar. I mean, where we, I mean, last night was Wednesday, it was trivia that it was the same, you know, 30 people that come every single week that were there playing trivia and they all know each other. And most of them met here in this tap room. And it's just a great sense of camaraderie and family in here. How, how did the, the keg tower come about? So what you're referring to is it, our, uh, our tap dispensing systems or beer dispensing system is eight taps, uh, in the center of the bar, that look like they're just kegs stacked on top of each other. So what we did there was basically drilled out the bottoms of it so you could run the line straight through. And I think it just it it made uh, it made sense from a logistics perspective because our tap room you've, you've got that you've got windows on almost all sides, so it's really hard to put like any kind of you know wall that you could dispense your beer out of. So we had to kind of think creatively. Or we would have to block the window, which we didn't want to do because you can see into the brewery, you can see people working, you can see the activities of the brewery. So we, we, that really wasn't an option. Plus, it's a horseshoe bar. So it's, you know, in the center of the room, it's kind of meant to feel kind of, is familial a word? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Meant to feel familial. And uh, so we needed the beer to come out of the center somehow. And that's why it's there. It, it just seemed like, I don't know, it's, and I actually, when we built that, because I was involved in, in some of the tap, tap room design, I, I didn't think it was like weird or unique, but I've never seen it since. So I guess we, we actually, and we had somebody come in, an artist come in the other day and she tagged us on Instagram as keg art in Upper Marlboro, <laughs> found keg art in Upper Marlboro. And I was like, all right, great. Awesome. It looks really cool. It's definitely you know, I, when I walked in, it was one of the first things I noticed was, wow, that's a stack of kegs. And, oh, look, the beer comes out of it. <laughs> well, and the other, and this, I guess this is a little bit a little bit nerdier, but um, it, the, the kegs uh, that we are pulling from are actually in our massive cold storage. So to stock the tap room, all they have to do is just push the kegs 30 feet across the room. across. Nice. So it's, you know, it reduces the work that the staff has to do. And it also makes a lot of those kegs never uh are in their entire lifespan are never below 45 degrees i mean they get kegged from the bright tank and then they go straight into the cold box and then they stay there and are dispensed right from there so very it keeps, cool it keeps it fresh yeah yeah well so is there anything folks should know about that's coming up in the next few weeks next couple of months that people should be aware of if they want to come out and try Try Calvert, visit visit your tap room that would be a special occasion or something they could come to? It's it's so convenient that our calendar of events is actually right behind you on the whiteboard. <laughs> so I'm just going to start reading. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, so we have releases just about every weekend. Um, and we do have a couple big ones. Um, I know this this podcast will come out just after this, but one of our biggest releases every year is our Senior Bezos Wine Barrel Age Stout. So um, and we actually we weren't able to do it last year, so people have been waiting for quite some time. And this is a, a stout that we aged in wine barrels from our sister farm, Running Hare Vineyard, down in Prince Frederick. So the the beer is is just fantastic. It's super unique because it's 100% red wine barrels. There's no bourbon barrels. There's no whiskey barrels or you know of any kind. So you get. 
this really nice, deep red brambly nose, cherries and blackberries and, you know, currants. And, and it smells like you're about to drink a red wine. It's really, really nice. And then you have all of the wonderful structure and chocolate notes and black pepper notes of the stout and then hints of the barrel on the back end. And the beer is just fantastic. So that's coming out this Saturday, Bombers. And we'll have some available for a little while. So we, we have we have plenty. Um, and then that'll be on tap for the rest of the winter, for the rest of the summer, uh, rest of the for the rest of the fall and winter. And then we always do a big uh, barrel aging release on Thanksgiving Eve, which is always a busy night for us in the tap room. So we have two barrel releases that we've done with uh, two different stores, Patuxent Wine and Spirits down in near near Prince Frederick, near where our other location is, and Rips just up, up the road. So we have two different barrel aged beers. Um, and the one that we did with Rips, we actually barrel aged the beer in blue dyer whiskey barrels. So that's a, a brand new distillery down in Waldorf. So we were able to kind of keep do like a local collaboration. So that'll be coming out November 21st. Yep. And we have some we have some crazy stuff going on on November 24th after Thanksgiving, just some experimental beers that we're going to be releasing. Uh, Camel over here, Alex, as he's known on this podcast, mm. his nickname is Camel. Um, he, <laughs> <laughs> he, brewed, he brewed two beers with Nick. And I'll let him tell you about those. Those are coming out on December 15th. Yeah, personally, I'm really excited for December 15th. These are my first um, professional beers that I'll be releasing. These are I've written the recipes myself and, I mean, uh, with the help of Nick. And we brewed them. Um, we're going to have a dark lager named Kraken and a, uh, a beer called The College Experiment, which is an American pale ale that I designed during a course in school. So um, I went to school at Randolph-Macon College in Ashland, Virginia, and I was a chemistry major for undergrad. As a part of the requirement for uh, completing the chemistry major, you have to complete a uh, thesis project. And I was assigned uh, to basically design and um, plan a course that's called the chemistry of homebrewing. So for that, I, um, you know, first I had to learn how to brew and I went through all the steps and uh, I got I got really into the learning the background of the chemical like chemical background behind brewing beer and like just seeing how everything affects itself. And then I had to also go in and design labs and um, basically brews for the course. So I did uh, an Irish red ale from a kit, and then from there I did uh, basically the college experiment. I I did it basically the same as we have it now, except we refined it a little bit because I used extract in the lab. And here we did an all grain, but it's a great American pale ale. It's a little bitter. It's got the nice hoppy flavors, and I think people are going to really like it. So December 15th, come out and try my beers. <laughs> All right. Which which one was better, the, the, the one you made in college or the one that you and Nick brewed? Oh, I got to say the one Nick and I brewed because, yeah. <laughs> The one in the one in college, you know, is only my second brew ever. So you know, as as it's good, it's also got its little places that you can improve on. Yeah, definitely. The big event that we have coming up is our anniversary party, which is a huge deal, a huge um, party that we do every year. This is our technically our three year anniversary party. So uh, last year we we had such a great time. We did um, we set up the entire back of the brewery back where you guys were as a secondary tap room. Um, because first of all, we needed the space, but also we wanted to invite people to kind of party in the back with us, you know, like where all the magic happens. We put Christmas lights up. It was pretty. It was really, really nice. We had our cornhole boards out, but we set up um, all of our jockey boxes with uh, six experimental IPAs. So kind of try it here. You may never see them again. Tell us what you think. 
And that was a huge hit. We went, we went through every single one of them. We ran out of every single one. Back then, last year, we were using like, we were, we were just starting to experiment with lupulin powder and some other different hopping techniques. Um, I can say we have come so far this year. Nick was talking earlier about how we've been really focused on hop, hopping techniques. And we, it, it's, it's just incredible when you really put your mind to, you know, one topic, how far you can come. And we've learned so much this year. So we've got another round of experimental IPAs coming up for this um, three-year anniversary. Um, at least three experimental ones. We'll bring back Mortal Double IPA, which is always a hit for us. We'll have um, Excellent Adventure and then a different version. Stay tuned of Excellent Adventure. Of course, Route 4 will be on tap. And the most exciting thing is we are dropping a can for our three-year anniversary. And uh, we're not announcing what that beer is going to be, but I can tell you it's most likely going to be an IPA. Awesome. But yeah, that's the, the only time you'll be able to get that can is at the three-year anniversary party. It will not yeah. be available in store. So we expect a big turnout for that. But it's it's it, it's an awesome day at the brewery. And I don't want to scare you with like having too many people there and like there being a large crowd because we have the back open. We have additional bartenders. So you can still get a beer just as quickly as you would normally be able to. Uh, you mentioned getting it in stores. So why don't you tell us real quickly where people can actually find Calvert Brewing Company in stores? So um, we distribute all over the state of Maryland, but the heaviest distribution is in the three southern counties. That's kind of where we started. We operate on the philosophy of own your own backyard first, so we really focus on our sales down there. So uh, Calvert County, Charles, and St. Mary's. Prince George's County, I think, is is craft is becoming craft beer is becoming more and more popular in this county, and we're we're right on that wave. So you can get it in most most stores in those three counties plus Prince George's. Almost any store in Anne Arundel County carries us, and then we're pushing into counties north. So sporadically, you'll see us in stores in in Howard, in Baltimore City, Baltimore County. Uh, a lot of stores in Montgomery County carry us, um, and we do keep a, a fairly updated map on our website too always best to call ahead. And if you go to a store and you don't see Calvert Brewing Company beer and you would like to, the best thing to do is to complain and get them to give me a phone call because I guarantee if they, I can go into a store 10 times and say, hey, you should carry Calvert Brewing Company and it may not work. But if they have one customer who's going to buy it, guaranteed sale right there. So yeah, demand it. Excellent. Excellent. Adam, you got anything else? Nope. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate your taking the time to talk to us. Listeners, if you want to know what's going on at Calvert Brewing Company, make sure that you're subscribed and listening to the DC Daily Brews. Comes out every morning at 7 a.m. with an update on everything happening in the DMV and the craft beer scene. Thanks again to Kara, to Nick, and to Alex from Calvert Brewing Company for joining us. Calvert Brewing Company is in Upper Marlboro. You can find them online at calvertbrewing.com. Calvertbrewingcompany.com. Oh, the whole word company? Yes, company is spelled out. I don't know who made that decision, but that's what, <laughs> that's what we have, and we pay for it, and so that's what it is. Calvertbrewingcompany.com. <laughs> but also, um, one of the best ways to stay up to date for what's going on, we, we do keep our website very updated. Um, you can find out all the information you want to know about the beers and you know the location and everything, hours and whatnot. But as far as specific events, our Facebook page is the best place to go so we post everything to our facebook page awesome thanks guys we really appreciate it remember always drink great beer <laughs>